Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Whoa. Whoa. Hey, so we are giving out little emoji keychains, but the way you get them is I want to see the best angry faces in the crowd. Who's got, who's got good angry faces right here? Seriously, let me see them. Gordon Dasher always looks a little bit angry. Right here we got a guy. Look at this guy. This, this guy looks angry right here. Angry face. Let me see your angry face. Show me the angry face. Right there, right there. Angry face. Look at these guys. Good night. These are some rough guys over here, man. Watch these guys. Watch these guys. Angry face in the back. Whoa. Whoa, Rick. Whoa. Angry face right here, right here, right here. Good job, man. Y'all are some angry guys, Big T. That's the, I'm out. I'm out. Y'all can stop making your angry faces. Look, this side just had a bunch of kids. All right. Uh, so let me get back here. Let me run and try not to hurt myself. Um, uh, let me show you guys. We took, some, we took some pictures of some. Look at these angry guys. That's what an angry Texan looks like. Keep scrolling through there, guys. Look, that's got some anger right there. Keep going. Oh, man. You run into this guy in the woods, you're scared. Keep going here. That's my house usually. That's anger right there. Let's get the last one. That's after a couple of weeks at camp. You know, that's what that looks like when you got campers all over the place. Okay, so uh, we, are, we are in a sermon series called Emoji. And this series is about handling emotions Jesus' way. If you are tuning in online, God bless you. We are glad that you're watching. A lot of our families are traveling. So to those of you guys that are traveling and tuning in, thank you for being with us. Church family, I believe that God is going to minister to some of you this morning who have struggled with anger for a long time. Some of you have dealt with anger for a long time and God wants to help you win your battle with anger. And so as we're working through this series on handling emotions Jesus' way, my prayer is you put some of this into practice. Don't let this just be a time where you're here and meeting friends and feeling good. And church is certainly a place to do all those things. But God intends to minister to some of you. Some of you have already shared how God has challenged you through this series. Okay, so, so listen up. Get a pen handy. I'm going to run through a bunch of scriptures. And I have been praying and asking and I know God is going to do a work in some of your lives this morning. If I were to define anger, this is what I would say. Anger is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Yesterday, as it turns out, was one of the days that I was provoked to anger the most in, in recent min- memory. Okay, two things I want to share with you. The first You can't see this online. A lot of you can't see it in here. I have my uh, right ring finger bandaged. I dropped a 300-pound fountain on my finger between my finger and the cement. Now, I want to make it clear I can easily hold uh, 300 pounds, okay? (laughs) It has nothing to do with the weight and everything to do with the size of the object I was trying to hold. It was, like, huge. So it was awkward. All right. I, I had kids around me at the time that I dropped this thing, so every angry word that you can imagine flashed through my brain the moment I dropped this thing on my finger, okay? But because I had kids around, I was able to bite my tongue and grit through the moment. 
About two hours later, I've got it bandaged up. It's throbbing pain. I take my three kiddos to the store. we got to grab some food coloring, Fourth of July festivity stuff. And I'm sitting in the front seat, and I see the cap to one of the food coloring bottles fly across my truck. And I was like, what in the world was that? And I turn to my right, and my child, my youngest child who's sitting up there with me, has grabbed the food coloring and squeezed so hard that the cap flew off and there's food coloring all over the truck. Mad, angry is an understatement. Judah! I pull the truck over, throw it in park, get out, slam the door, I run over, I whip his tail and yell at him up one side and down the other. He's just... So, so I like this Benjamin Franklin quote. If anybody had a reason to be angry yesterday, it was yours truly. Okay? But was my reason a good one? No. To tell you the truth, we didn't even end up using the food coloring. And my truck is going to be somebody else's truck in 10 years anyway. So if any of you are in the market for a truck with kind of like a cool custom interior paint job, I know a guy. Now I'm saying that in jest, but, but in all seriousness, my son is going to be my son forever. But my truck is not really going to be my truck. And we didn't even end up using the food coloring that got wasted. While I did have a reason to be angry, it wasn't a good one, and it certainly didn't justify me treating my son the way that I treated him. Did he need a spanking? Yes. But did he deserve the tongue lashing that he got? No. What happened in that moment is your preacher uh, was overcome and influenced by anger. I had a reason to be angry, sure, but my reason to be angry was not a good one. As I was praying about this sermon... And studying for it last night in preparation for this morning, God moved me to go to my kids and say, guys, look, uh, dad made a big, huge mistake. Yes, Jude should have gotten in trouble, but no, he shouldn't have been yelled at the way he was yelled at. And so I, I had to make amends. Here's the point. I don't have this figured out. But I have three little children that are depending on me to, to set an example for them of Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity that they are depending on as a way to learn how they need to behave. So it's essential for me. I'm also in a leadership position at a church. There is a demand on me to set an example. But there's no more demand on me being a dad and a leader in a church than there is on you in whatever your kingdom assignment is. I don't care if there's no kids at home or if you're not preaching every week. You have a kingdom assignment and it's essential for you to set the same kinds of examples that I have to set in my ministry and in my family. So wherever you're at in your struggle with anger, my prayer is you will tune in. God wants to speak to you this morning, I know, because He's already spoken to me and some have already shared the, the, how this sermon is already influencing them. Okay, let me give you another uh, uh, sense here of anger. In Scripture, anger is neutral. Okay, in the scriptures, anger is neutral. Now, this sermon series is about handling emotions Jesus' way. 
To be frank, there is way more information in the Scriptures on anger than I could share in one weekend or two or or even five. So what we've decided to do is focus on the way our Lord Jesus Christ is handling emotions so that we can precisely get a sense of what Jesus is doing in order to better understand how we need to deal with emotions. Jesus is angry in the Scriptures. Jesus also never committed a sin. If that's true, then it's got to be true that it's possible to be angry and also not to sin. But there are also times in the Scriptures where people are angry and they do commit sin. I'm reminded of this quote by Billy Graham that I I read. He says this, Hot heads and cold hearts never solved anything. So there are two ends of a continuum. On one end is the hot-headed type of anger, where people are overcome and overwhelmed by the emotion anger. They're irritated, they're frustrated, they have a reason to be, but I'm gonna tell, I'll be the first to tell you it's not a good one. And, and they're reactive. On the other end of the continuum in this quote are people who are cold-hearted. You could not find a pulse on these people if your life depended on it. As I was, as I was, Reminded of, of, of this quote through studying for this message, I thought of the Wichita State Shockers basketball team. The Wichita State Shockers are from Wichita, Kansas, which is the greatest city in the United States of America, which is my hometown. And they have a, a basketball team that's from a mid-major conference that shouldn't really be able to compete with people on a national scale. But their coach, Greg Marshall, has done some incredible things with the team. His slogan for the team is, hashtag, play angry. The Wichita State Shockers have been able to ascend to national prominence as a mid-major school without the ability to draw the talent that other big, predominant programs can draw. And they've been successful because they're playing angry. What I like about this Billy Graham quote is he sums it up pretty good. Christians who are living too far on either side of the continuum are ineffective for Jesus Christ. If you're too hot-headed, you're ineffective. And if you're too cold-hearted, you're ineffective. If you were to sit me down and say, Trent, if that's true, then where do you want a, a Christian? Where should we exist on that continuum of anger? I would say if you're going to err a little bit to one side or the other, err on the side of playing a little bit too passionate we're playing a little bit too angry. A husband was talking to his wife and he said, Babe, when I'm yelling at you, somehow you seem to have this supernatural amount of self-control. I yell and I yell and I yell and, and you don't ever yell back. You just kind of sit there and listen and then eventually I'll apologize and you're always very graceful and accept my apology and seem to forgive me like... Can you share with me your secret on how to deal with anger like that? And the, and the wife says, well, well, babe, every time you yell at me like that, I go to the bathroom and I deep clean the bathroom and I spend a lot of time cleaning the toilet. And the husband's like, what? How, how does that help at all? And she said, the secret, honey, is that I use your toothbrush for the whole process. <laughs> That's kind of a both-and approach. She's a little too hot-headed and a little too cold-hearted. That's not what I'm talking about for Christians. I want you guys to be passionate 
So many Christians across the United States of America are asleep. There's no passion. There's no drive. And when there is passion and drive, it's usually manifested in the form of aggression against people who don't agree with us. This is not Jesus' approach. So I'm going to give you Jesus' approach, but before I do that, I've got to give you a brief survey of what the Scriptures have to say about anger. Remember, it's neutral. It can be good or it can be bad. So let's take a second. When anger is bad in the Bible, when anger is bad in the Bible, it influences heavily what people are doing. When anger is bad in the Bible, it actually overrides all other influences. When anger is bad in the Bible, anger overrides other influences. I want you to get this. I want you to write this down. When anger overrides other influences, it leads to UNCs. UNCs. That's what I want you to write down. UNCs. UNCs are unintended negative consequences. When anger is bad in the Bible, anger overrides and is the overriding influence in an individual's behavior, and when anger is an overriding influence in an individual's behavior, it leads to unintended negative consequences. You can be successful in life if you can reduce the number of unintended negative consequences you experience. Because most people don't deliberately and intentionally set out to experience negative consequences. Can I get a witness this morning? So if you can continue not deliberately setting out to get negative consequences and reduce the number of unintended negative consequences, you're going to be successful. That is how I would define spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is when I don't allow emotions to be the overriding influence in my behavior. And this is what Jesus himself was the master at. He never let his emotions overwhelm him to the point of his emotions causing unintended negative consequences. No UNCs in the life and lifestyle of Jesus Christ. What we're going to see in Numbers chapter 20 is that there is an unintended negative consequence as a result of an overwhelming and overriding feeling of anger in this particular circumstance. Let me read this to you. Numbers chapter 20, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says this. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And Aaron said to them, uh, Moses said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. They've seen all these miracles, and now they're complaining. We need some water to drink. And Moses is moved to a place of overwhelming anger. You rebels! How is it that you always are complaining and criticizing and of little faith? Fine, here, he taps the rock twice and out comes water. Now, this is not what God asked Moses to do. If you back up a few verses to Numbers, chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, you get a little bit of that context. The Lord says to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. 
You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. God didn't tell Moses to tap the rock. He said, speak and the rock will bring forth water. But Moses, in that moment, allowed his anger to override his behavior such that he was disobedient to God. The consequence, the unintended negative consequence, the UNC, is found in the 12th verse of Numbers chapter 20. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israelites, listen to this, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. What? Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt. He led them for 40 years in the wilderness. They get to the shores of the Jordan and Moses does not get to go into the land of promise. Why? Because his anger overwhelmed him to the point of him being disobedient. And that disobedience led to the unintended negative consequence of him not getting to see the promised land. Here's an important point. Unintended negative consequences don't mean God's not going to bless you. Unintended negative consequences don't mean God's not going to bless you. Moses was still able to bring water from the rock even though he didn't do it the way God asked him to do it. God is still going to work in your life even if you make mistakes. And God's work in your life doesn't mean you're not going to experience unintended negative consequences as a result of your disobedience. But you're going to experience them if you allow anger to be the primary overriding influence in your behavior. This is what caused the psalmist in Psalm 37, 8 to say this. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Don't fret. It only causes harm. You wonder if the psalmist is thinking about the story of Moses and how he let anger overcome him to the point of disobedience. And his disobedience led to the consequence of him not being able to see God's land of promise. This is a very dangerous situation for those of you who are caught in an angry spirit. And God wants to tell you this morning not to let that angry spirit overwhelm you to the point of that anger being the primary influence in your emotions. Okay, let's keep moving. Anger sometimes in the scriptures is a good thing. Is this Can you guys hear me? Is this mic off? Test, test, test. Test, 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 test. Test, test, test. This is so good, I don't want you to miss it. And with the mic, you know, I can make my voice sound all cool. Okay, sometimes anger in the Bible is good. Sometimes anger in the Bible is good. Genesis chapter 31, verse 36. Genesis 31, 36. The Bible says this. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you've so hotly pursued me? Let me give you the context. Jacob, yeah, you guys need a little more volume in the mic? Test, check, check. I'm going to beatbox if I have to say check again. And I'm going to wrap the rest of this sermon. And the roof is going to come off and brimstone is going to come down. It's going to be so good. In Genesis chapter 31 and verse 36... 
Jacob is angry with his father-in-law, Laban. I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, this is justified anger. Laban has lied to Jacob two different ways. First, Laban actually gave his older daughter, Leah, to Jacob to marry after Jacob had worked for seven years to try and marry the younger daughter, Rachel. Laban throws a big party. Jacob probably has too much to drink. Laban sends in uh, Rachel instead of Leah. Jacob wakes up the next morning. He's like, yo, whoa, who is this, who is this home girl up in here with me? And where's the beautiful young lady I was going to try to marry? That's a pretty big, serious, major deception. Justified anger. Second, finally Laban does let Jacob marry his youngest daughter, Rachel, who Jacob had set out to marry. Makes him work another seven years, 14 years total. And then tells Jacob, yo, God is showing you favor, so I really don't want you to leave my land and my property because your blessings equal my blessings, bruh. And Jacob's like, nah, man, I'm out of here. So Jacob leaves and Laban pursues and Jacob's like, dude, what are you doing? What's my sin? What's my trespass that you so hotly pursued me? justified anger. This guy had taken advantage of him, was pursuing him when he had no reason to, and Jacob is frustrated. This is what caused Paul to tell the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sin go down on your wrath. You can be angry. And it can be justified. Whoa, that's what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, God wants you all to hear this in the back. Somebody back there needs a blessing. You can be angry, just don't sin. Do not allow anger to be the overriding influence on your behavior such that it leads to an unintended negative consequence. Now, let's take a look at Jesus. We've demonstrated in the Scriptures that, that anger can be negative or it can be positive. It can be good or it can be bad. It's all about the degree to which you let it overwhelm you. Let's take a look at some things that the Lord Jesus is angry at. Now let me say two things before we say this. The first is, our anger, when justified, should move us to action. That's the first application principle. If you're going to accurately apply what I'm about to tell you, the first application principle you got to know is that our anger should move us to action. What I'm going to talk about is what makes Jesus angry. Guess what, friends? If it makes Jesus angry, it should make you angry too. But Jesus' anger always compelled action. He didn't just sit from the side complaining, angry, narcissistic, pessimistic, frustrated with the whole world. He did something about it. Let me tell you the second application principle. Make sure that these things are not going on in your life before you try and facilitate the transformation in the lives of others. Make sure these things are not going on in your life if you're going to try to facilitate this kind of transformation in the lives of others. You're hypocritical if you're frustrated by these things that Jesus is frustrated at and you don't do anything about them in your own life and only seek to change them in the lives of others. Here's my text for this morning, John 2. We're going to look at a couple of places that Jesus is angry in the Scriptures. John 2, verse 13 through 17. The Bible says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, they found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove them all to the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, 
ever tried to change a self-centered person to a more Christ-centered person? Know how effective you can be in doing that, which is zero effective. But let me tell you, you can't make a self-centered person Christ-centered. Jesus Christ himself So the way you got to handle this, first, you should be moved to a point of frustration when you see self-centered people who know better and should be Christ-centered. That should frustrate you. But your frustration should compel you to action. I want you to play angry. I want you to live life a little bit too passionate rather than a little bit too cold-hearted. But when you're feeling passionate about somebody who's self-centered, that should be Christ-centered, I want you to set the example for them. That's how your uh, passion should move you to action. By you deciding, I'm going to set the Christ-centered example for the self-centered people who are in my life. So this is your homework for this week. I want you to do something that is Christ-centered. I want you to pray about it. I want you to read over this sermon again. I want you to ask God to give you a place where you can do that. And I want you to do something that is Christ-centered. And then I want you to let us know on social media by putting hashtag BeChristCentered on some social media outlet and let us know about it. We want to cheerlead your efforts. Okay, there's another situation in Scripture where Jesus is angry. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. The Bible says this, and when he had looked around them, and when he had looked around at them with anger, he was grieved by the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Here's the context. Jesus is in the presence of the religious leaders of his day, and there's a man who has leprosy and he's healed. The catch is the Sabbath, which means you had to rest. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day were not faithful to God. They were faithless. It was all about laws, customs, and demands. And they used these laws, customs, and demands as a way to elevate themselves to a place of authority rather than glorify God and elevate God to a place of authority. Jesus ends up healing the man and he's frustrated because they are faithless when they should have been faithful. Here's the point of the Jesus is angry when people are faithless, and they should be faithful. Jesus is angry when these people who should have experienced the power of God, were familiar with God's word, would have seen the power of living the God-centered life could do for an individual. These people should have been faithful, and they see God with their own two eyes, and they see the miracle of Jesus Christ, and they're faithless and unbelieving no matter how often Jesus Christ is. So some of you know people like that. And I want you to get frustrated and irritated and want to be called to action, to have a burden, to bring people who are faithless into a place of greater and greater faith. But you cannot do that. God can. So what I want you to do is allow your anger and your irritation to move you to a point of action by becoming more faithful yourselves. So this is the second part of your homework. I want you to do three things this week. The first part I mentioned, hashtag be Christ-centered after you've done something Christ-centered. The second thing is hashtag be faithful after you've done something faithful. You set the example to frustrate the world who has Jesus in their fingertips and is still faithless and unbelieving. You get faithful and then you let your church family know about it so that we can encourage and cheer for Jesus. The third thing that happens uh, in the scripture that makes Jesus angry 
God, we 